0: Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jackstraw Writers Program.
1: Show me a war you believe just. I'll show you the signatures of good men on both sides who declared for the sake of peace, we must tear out the tender throats of children.
0: This program features the work of 2019 writer Michael Schmelzer. In the first half, you'll hear his conversation with curator Kathleen Flanagan, recorded in the Jack Straw Studio. So tell me a little bit about
2: your Jack Straw project and how you came to it.
1: So it's a very heavy project in a lot of ways. the political climate as of late has been amplified in many ways and seeing how people are reacting to it and really witnessing what it's doing to our kids and how they're responding to it uh, gave me a lot of concerns and there's that famous quote now that's they're good people on both sides (laughs) and i one have a problem with that but i see the flip side where i think there are bad people on both sides and so that led me to explore what happens when the good side crosses the line into doing something that makes them no longer who they thought they were. So I've been looking at my own history as a Japanese person, as a biracial person who has these two heritages and these two sides that fought each other during World War II, and really trying to reconcile that with my own identity and reconcile that, yes, Japan does not come across as the hero in this story. And America does, but at the same time, the American soldiers did some atrocious things. And the Japanese people who were living in America at that time paid the price as well. So I'm really trying to figure out where we can go as a group and where can we go to further this narrative, not just of war and hate, but How do we move past that, and how do we reconcile our past and become something greater together?
2: And how do we do that? (laughs) Please tell me.
1: (laughs) I keep coming up to that wall, and the thing that I find most helpful is to never lose sight of not only your friends, but the people who you don't consider friends, and just emphasizing that they need to be treated as empathetically and as lovingly as possible. Because the minute we are able to dehumanize them, we lose something in ourselves that is vital. And so you can stand up for what is right and you can fight for justice and equality and all these things that are very much needed. But if you do that at the cost of your own humanity, whatever you were fighting for is lost.
2: Yeah, I think that's a wonderful point. I'm wondering, too, though, how how do you begin to take a goal like that and start to put it into poems? How does that—what do those poems look like?
1: The first thing is just research and not just historical research and looking into my own cultural background, but really digging into my own personal life and seeing how I'm not just saying these things, but I'm living these values and really just enacting this tenderness and softness and compassion and love in a way that is affecting people. Um, The way it comes across in the poem is often a juxtaposition of these horrible things that people do to each other with tenderness and literal and metaphorical softness that you can find in daily interactions or the way dictators will have a pet that they absolutely love and adore and care for, and finding something that makes you pause for just a minute and realize that we are all humans and that maybe somewhere in that humanity we can save each other.
2: How are you finding these? You say you're going into your personal history and then into your research. Are you finding some treasure troves of material?
1: I am. So there is a couple of stories that have really stuck out in my mind and of course there are these stories that we hear about whether it's world war ii or the vietnam war where american soldiers are being abused by you know the enemies quote unquote and and vice versa there are stories of japanese soldiers that were being brutalized in world war ii it's just basic Google searches and all this usual internet tools, Uh, but some of the stories come from my father who served in the Navy for 20 years, and other stories from my mom's side of the family who were all in Okinawa, and there are stories about how they had to wash the American soldiers' bodies before they were shipped back during the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. and things like that, and how that affects not just them personally, but how that affects a culture. So I just look at all these things and try to put them together in a way that makes sense, even though it's nearly impossible to make sense of war and things like this.
2: You describe yourself as the spider who speaks of softness, compassion, and gets devoured for it. And I'm wondering, it takes a lot of courage to write out of that sense of being devoured. And I'm wondering where you think that comes from and what do you keep coming back to to refresh that courage? Because it does seem that you really are doing difficult work.
1: Primarily, I would say that ability to keep going back to that kind of sore spot or look at these atrocious things in history is because if I didn't, I feel like There would be some great missed humanity within myself, and these things can be so easily ignored, but the consequence of that is there are many people who will be harmed by that. And there are enough people that are looking at these things with intent to harm, Mm. and I want to make sure that there is another side to that, where people are looking at these things with an intent to learn from history and to change and make things better. And I've said it before, it's so much about the children I see, about giving them something better in the future, and maybe even having a world or society that isn't bent on colonizing or dominating or hurting someone else that you deem as the enemy. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to be able to say that if there is anything... And any decision or any action that you can take that further humanizes someone and shows empathy and compassion, I just can't see how that will have negative consequences in the future.
2: Mm. Do you have a poem that you could share that sort of touches on that? Sure.
1: Uh, This is one of my newest poems. And it's based on a story that my dad told while he was in the Navy about being, I believe, in the Philippines and seeing people essentially fishing for dogs so that they had something to eat. And I just, I have not been able to shake that uh, memory of him telling me that for a very long time. And it still kind of haunts me about how I eat now and how, like, people have such... Just ability to, we can go to a restaurant and just have a meal and order it, and there are, are just people that are doing whatever they can to survive. So I just, just kind of thinking about all these things, so. They eat dog, you know. Yes, in the great war, we massacred dogs. Afterward, we ate them roasted over fires. Wag your tongues all you want. We ate our enemies and their families, too. We ate the bamboo forests, delicious as arrows of asparagus, the mountains with teeth like sticks of dynamite, the shrines and the names of all our dead digested in our stomachs, limb by limb the nations we swallowed. Judge us, you and your kin, who have never been this hungry. I heard the joke about the Asian restaurant serving canine, the one about naming their kids after the clang of utensils thrown down the stairs. It's only funny to Americans who haven't watched a starving father use a chunk of flesh to fish for dogs who were also starving. It's only funny if you don't come home empty handed, chewing your child's name like a piece of fat. Stab our meat with a fork. Call it hunting. Put our chopsticks in your hair and call it fashion. We welcome you into our homes. Opulent, obeisance, oh we've cooked the most elaborate meal you can't pronounce. One you never had to call, sweetly, to come home.
2: That chewing... Your child's name, like, fat. <laughs> it's wonderful. Who do you see speaking in this poem?
1: So one of the responses I got to some of my work was to let some of the anger out a little bit about how society reacts to things or the racism that I've encountered and things like that. And it's an uncomfortable place for me in a lot of ways. Um, I think anger is so useful, but it's not a feeling that naturally comes to me. So I wanted to be able to utilize that. And just some of the things I see regarding culture and, like I said, that kind of American opulence in a way Mm -hmm. that I needed to respond to. And I think having lived in different countries and having a wife that travels to different countries... I think it is so essential to see how other people are living sometimes in order for you to really take a step back and realize that there are so many wonderful things that we have that we just take advantage of or don't even think about. Mm -hmm. So in all this combined with the stories my dad told about various countries too as he's traveled, it just really sinks in and I just need to say something about it.
0: Now, we'll hear a selection from Michael's live reading.
1: I'm going to start off by reading one of the poems from the anthology uh, today. And um, the only thing I really want to say about it is I kind of recycle a uh, Trump quote about very fine people on both sides, which I, I don't co-sign that, but I do think there are very bad people on both sides, and that's kind of the angle that I take feathers where fangs should be i know what i've done hammered out my fangs and replaced them with a celebration of feathers in order to tickle not puncture when threatened every mouth should respond with flight or flight verily i learned to love the rich taste of blood but only my own how i've healed is a mystery, sponge soft, a host as I am. If children teach us anything, it's how to be weak and better for it. Don't believe me? Show me a war you believe just. I'll show you the signatures of good men on both sides who declared for the sake of peace we must tear out the tender throats of children. I'm going to be reading uh, a selection of poems from my new manuscript, my Jack Straw project, and it's uh, the elevator pitches. It's about war, war crimes, and the literal and metaphorical idea of softness. I, I think in these very divided times that to remember our own humanity and the humanity of others especially our enemies is key to actually making some sort of progress and i keep trying to humanize myself and others as much as i can through my poetry so uh, this poem is called what you do not shoot a barefoot man with a crown of sweat holding a bucket of well water for instance or those who drop their rifle then drop to their knees, as if in worship, upon seeing the face of their destroyer. And medics, too, no matter how much blood stains their uniforms. But of course, they were all targets. Their confusing insistence on vulnerability, a thing violence cannot tolerate. In school, we watched a video of an antelope bounding away in smaller and smaller leaps, the lion closing the distance between them and then. The whole class looked away but me. What colors I saw. There was a soldier in green who shot a young girl in the face right in front of her mother and then the mother soon after. What he did not shoot was the dog the one whose masters he had just killed, for he could not bear to stop the yellow wagging of its tail. Uh, This piece is the only one that I wrote, I think, before this program. And it's the title piece to my new uh, project. I think everything came to fruition upon this uh, poem. In the great war, I become cake, Out of desperation, I believed in God, exactly four times. And each desperation moves with me like a sentimentality, a piece of trash my daughter once held, and hence I can't let go. May I speak of the beloved beetle I painted prismatic. It opened itself like a red gift and dazzled a message in multiple wings, but it never lifted we can kill, especially with our clumsy love. Friends, how do we move with the grace of kind words or like forgiveness we don't deserve but receive? My prayer is to be more ear and less tongue. The more I witness, the less I believe I'm built for this world. Growing up, I willed myself into a sword. Then, as I aged, a shield. I am old enough now not to need war. With each clang, I hear the heart quiet a little more. In the great war, I become cake. I can't withstand anything, not even a little rain. I have one job. I feed the hungry and refuse to ask which side they slaughter for. Uh, the final poem I'm gonna read is kind of a ephrastic poem. Um, it's a little bit inspired by the photo um, of the Saigon execution. It's a very famous p- photo um, and I didn't realize there was a video of it as well. And one of the things that stuck out was the um, narrator described the cavalier movements of the executioner. And that, something about that, just that casual attitude that we can have towards death and life, it just made me think of this. And we devour our own. The wolf gives birth to more wolves and gods detonate into more gods. There is minimal miracle in that. Dear enemies, my doe-eyed foes from foreign lands, we will go crazy, slowly, then in a rush all at once, together, like dancers in a musical. War is the chorus to the most popular song in the world. Our lips move in unison, We kick with metric precision the nucleus of a stranger's beautiful face until it splits, fission in 4-4 time. Who'd have ever believed melody could stir us like that? I watched a man, for hours, shove an unpublished novel into the shredder. One sheet pushes itself into strips. He dips his hands like a ladle into noodles absurd in his eagerness, and this is how we die, thinking we created something better from ourselves when really we bear division and destruction. A soldier shoots another in the head, cavalier in his movements afterward. I am not crazy. If you look at the photo commemorating the moment, you'll see a dozen more soldiers emerge from the spray, like Athena erupting from Zeus violence, a fully formed heritage. Remember what I said about the man with the shredder? It was me. I ate strip after strip of paper, chewing and making faces like a camel. I watched myself in the mirror and for a while I believed it wasn't me doing what I watched myself do. My daughter asks me what I'm watching a building exploding into jagged chunks of building, a soldier exploding into red pulp, and still each piece wants to keep killing. We are repeating the awful habit of cruelty. I am hostage to my sorrow. Lay down, rest your head as if I were a pillow. Maybe after we sleep we can gnash this wild world tender. My mother told me a story of a crane that hatched a wolf, a divine act, and the pup in all its savage softness without hesitation ate the mother. It isn't too late. I promise even that wolf can be tamed. Thank you.
0: Sound Pages is a Jackstraw production produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther at Jackstraw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, Tom Stiles, and Ayesha Ubiatilica. Our theme music is by the Bird Tribe Orchestra, produced through the Jackstraw Artist Support Program. The 2019 curator of this program is Kathleen Flenikin, and the narrator for this podcast is Alyssa Keene. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back-fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks go to Larry Lawrence for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jackstraw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jackstraw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.